All right. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Jorge, for reading scripture, Lara and the team for leading us in worship. Appreciate that. Um, uh, as you know, uh, we've been going through a series called uh, Advent Series. And um, two weeks ago, actually, JY started us out in our new Advent Series called Expectant, Waiting on Love, as you can see. And here we're learning from different characters with different perspectives who expectantly awaited the coming of Jesus. Though all are from different cultural, age, and socioeconomical backgrounds, they all were awaiting for love incarnate to come to earth. That's Jesus, right? So in this series, we're learning from the stories of everyday life people like you and me. That were awaiting for the Messiah, the anointed one of God, to come to earth and bring forth peace. These characters uh, were both women and men, rich and poor, Jewish and Gentiles, a sign that God's sacrificial love and salvation is inclusive to all people. Now, the first week, J.Y. Uh, gave a phenomenal teaching on our first character, who's Mary, and the striking differences between her and Zachariah. Uh, now, last week, we spoke about the shepherds um, and how, though they were insignificant in society, the Lord still chose them to be the first receptors of such news in the Gospel of Luke. We also saw how Jesus' calling as a sacrificial lamb, savior, and healer of the world was reiterator in his birth. So, um, in contrast, though, today we will be looking at the Magi, and that is the plural for Magos. That's why I didn't put Magi, just so you know. It's actually correct. Magi is the plural of Magos, which, which are the, the ones that, uh, the, the characters that we will be actually uh, talking about today. And, and at the Magi from the East, Gentile wise men from privileged status who out of their wisdom chose to humble themselves and through that knowledge went all the way to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. So we're going to learn a little bit about the Magi's in, 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 in striking contrast with the shepherds, right? Shepherds were Jewish. Magi's are not Jewish, are Gentiles. The shepherds are poor in significance. The Magi, on the contrast, they are rich with power and privilege, right? So it's interesting how the people that came to worship Jesus were from all sorts of backgrounds, nationalities. So uh, here's some pictures of Magi. Some of them are historical. Some of them are more modern on the left. But, you know, we, we see some, you know, they're depicted as brown, black, you know, even in the Middle Ages, we see that there, there is a sense that they represented the different nations of the world coming from the East. Uh, you see the camels, most likely they were riding camels because they come from that area of Arabia where they use camels as means of transportation. Um, we see there are three, but we don't know how many. They could have been five or seven or 10 or 12. Uh, people think it's three because they, were, they gave three gifts so one per Magi, but we truly don't know. We might, it might have been more than that. It might have been, the Orthodox thinks there were 12 Magi, you know. The Western Church thinks there were three Magi. We don't know. Um, so who are the Magi? 
right? And again, that's singular for magus. Who are the magi? So, again, going to Google, right? Background. So, magi, if you go and just press magi, and I, I look for magi, not wise men, because magi is a, more of a pure um, actual uh, wording. You know, later on, we see wise men as a translation as well, which is accurate too, and you'll see why. But magi, some translations in scripture, is ma it's, it's magi or magos, right? So what is a magi? If you look on Google, it's a member of a priestly caste of ancient Persia. And, and, and so Pers ancient Persia was, you know, one of the kingdoms. We, we have, in the time of Daniel, uh, uh, we, we had the, the Babylonian Empire, but in his lifetime, you know, there was... Uh, there was a switch of, 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 uh, of uh, empires. You know, it, it, it came from Babylonian Empire to Persian Empire. And then obviously in that time, it was the Roman Empire. So you got the Babylonian, then came the Persians, and then came the Romans, right? The Persian conquered the Babylonians and the Romans conquered the Persians. That's kind of how it went. So, so this, the Magi actual etymology, um, um, it is, um, I have it right here. The etymology of Magi uh, is, is a transliteration of the Greek magos. So actually it's not, it's not, the root of it is not Greek, though it's written on Greek on, on the scripture, magos. Um, but, but it's a derivative from old Persian magos. The term is a specific occupational title referring to the Zoroastrian priest of the late Persian Empire. Maybe you've heard of that religion, Zoroastrianism, right? So that is a very ancient religion, and it comes all the way down from that era. You know, that's the Magos, the Magi. They come from uh, the priest of the late Persian Empire. You're probably looking at me like, but Pierre, I thought these were like wise men. I'm like, well, hang on. This is really good stuff, you know, because you'll understand how God's grace just expands to all people in, in such way. Because, yeah, it's kind of like might be new information for you, but this is who they were. I mean, what at least the word meant, right? But hang on. There is more. So Magi in the Greek lexicon of scriptures of the Bible is a name given by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, for meats that was what it was borrowed from the Persians, right? Remember? No, actually the Babylonians, uh, the Chaldeans is the name given for them, the Medes, the Persians, and others. So it's for all of them, it's the same kind of thing. You have the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and others. To the wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, sorcerers, etc. So these people that were the wise, that's what they translated wise men, right? Because it could have been that the people that were engaging in these, you know, uh, professions for the empire. Now, um, now the, um, so the name is given to the oriental wise men who having discovered by the rising of a remarkable star that the Messiah had just been born, came to Jerusalem to worship him. That's also another um, definition that you can see here. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background of who are the Magi, right? Now, who, who is a Magi on scripture? Who's a Magus? Who was, if you think about who was made 
the leader of the Magi on the Babylonian, on Persian Empire, Daniel. He was made the head of the Magi. He was a Magi. He was considered to be a Magi from the Jewish, and then the Babylonians exiled the, Jew, exiled the people, the people that were wise men, or what they considered the Magis of those regions, and then they would bring the Magi to their region because they were very smart. They knew how to interpret dreams. Remember Daniel interpreting dreams? There you go. He was a Magi, a Magos of Magi, right? So, so it's interesting how even perhaps some of these Magi who came were perhaps might have been influenced by Daniel's writings, right? And some scholars will say that a lot of this information they got about going and following the star and counting the days and just all the wisdom that came might have been derived from the book of Daniel, from the Magos of Magi, right? Because Daniel, again, who was set by the emperor to become the, the head of the Magi of that empire, the Persian empire. First Babylonian, then Persian. So first Nebuchadnezzar's, and then I, I don't remember the, the Darius, I think it is, the, the emperor of Persia. So there, ha- there might have had influence. Now we also know from this background that there were Jewish people on the east. We don't know where from the east these Magi came. They might have come from Persia. They might have come, we don't know. But we know for a fact that the East was where the Persian Empire was, where the, where the Babylonians were, and at that point were conquered already by the Romans, but still their culture prevailed, the magic prevailed. And there was a lot of Jewish because guess what? They were exiled, remember, to that, to that uh, area of the world back in those days, right? So they were exiled, and some of them didn't go back to Jerusalem. They stayed on that area. So also, most likely these magi were influenced by Jewish scriptures, were influenced by, by, uh, by, by the culture of the Jewish diaspora, right? Kind of like we here, or diaspora here in New York City, there were diaspora Jewish all the way 500 miles or more uh, from Jerusalem. So these are the magi, just to give you a little... Uh, so, so now... The, if we look into the passage, though, if we look, look here in the passage, we see on verse 1 and 2 that the magic response to truth is selfless worship, right? So notice here how the magi, out of their study of the Hebrew scriptures, in part with astronomy or astrology. Remember, back on those days, astrology and astronomy were the same thing. There wasn't separation like now. There's a big separation now, astrology and astronomy. But back in those days... It was one because the divine revealed what the, the stars were all about. So it, it, they were kind of like the scientists of the day, right? But of course, that what divine? It could be pagan gods. It could be the God of Israel. But somehow the, the, the revelations of the stars could have been made by, you know, whoever they believe as their gods, right? So that's what is astrology, astronomy, doesn't matter in this time. Now there is a big difference. But back then... There wasn't. So, so, um, so notice here how, though, in, in verse 1 and 2, it says that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Straight up asking that question. 
For we saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. They have already done their job, studied everything. They just straightforward. Where is he, right? They went to Jerusalem, actually. So notice here how the Magi, out of their study of the Hebrew Scriptures, in part with astronomy and perhaps other fields of study, because Magi were, as you saw, teach all these kinds of things, wise men. They have chosen to come from far away, traveling many miles to worship the king of the Jews. The response to the knowledge of the truth found in the prophets and some other writers, as I said, of the Old Testament caused them to pursue Jesus to worship him. Right? It caused them to go forth and pursue that Jesus to worship him. So there is that major response to truth. It's just selfless worship. They just didn't care about their status. They didn't care how much it would take. They didn't care how many miles they have to take. They just went for it. Right? So now, in contrast, though, on verse 3 to 8, we have hero's response to the truth. That is selfish ambition. Right? Though the Magi listened to the king and went on their way to Bethlehem, because uh, we can see here, sorry, verse 3. Here we learn that Herod and people of Jerusalem were greatly disturbed by the news the Magi were bringing to Jerusalem. The verse tells us, it says, quote, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We see that on verse 2. Now, Herod used all his power and resources as king to find out what the Magi were inquiring, but not to use the truth found in Scripture to worship the king that has been chosen by God, by the Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, but rather to prevent these prophecies to be fulfilled so that he can remain in power. So we see on these verses, I'm not going to read them, but if you read it, read the verses, they come... Uh, uh, the Magi come into Jerusalem asking these questions. Then Herod heard this news. He was troubled. Jerusalem was troubled. He assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people, which is sort of the Magi from these wise men, right? Consul. Um, assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And verse 5, he says that they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. Verse 6, it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then, Herod summoned the wise men. It's interesting that his wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. So Herod summoned the wise men, meaning the Magi. He summoned them. And then basically he's like, um, basically the Magi is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the star that we're following or whatever. We, and, and, then, um, and then he basically lies to them. He's like, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word that I too may come and worship him. So he's lying to them. He's like, yeah, go. Find them and then let me know so that I can kill him. And we know that why, because later on he went on and said to kill the child, children that are two years or younger. And we, we, we know of the massacre in Bethlehem that happened. But we see there is selfish ambition, right? So he used all that power to prevent these prophecies to be fulfilled. He even went, as I said, into the lens of killing all baby boys under two years old. So... So there's a striking contrast between Herod and the Magi. 
Magi were selfless, sacrificing of their time, their treasures, all of this to go and worship Jesus. Herod, on the other hand, uses all his power and resources and even sends the Magi so that he can remain in power. So that it's all for his own glory, right? Now, in verse 9, we see that, that the Magi are guided by God, not Herod. The Magi are guided by God, not Herod. Though the Magi, on verse 9, listened to the king and went on their way to Bethlehem, the text tells us that the Magi did not simply went to Bethlehem at Herod's command. But rather, they were guided by Jesus' star. Because he said, his star has come to follow us. Not only the star guided them to Bethlehem, but the text also tells us that it stopped right over the house where Jesus was as a baby. So we see how they were guided. Even on verse um, 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So we see like, okay, yeah, Herod said those things, but they were always guided by the star and not by the lies of Herod. So that's important to know here that they're guided by God, not Herod on verse 9. Now, we see a natural response. There's an over, they're over rejoiced on verse 10. There's an over rejoicing. The writer does not simply say that the Magi rejoice, but they, quote, rejoice exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> That's like a lot of rejoicing, right? Over rejoicing. So the writer in the Greek put, make sure to say, he didn't say just like, oh, they just rejoice. They's like rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There is an overreaction of exuberant joy at such important occurrence. The king of the Jews had been born. The Magi lived to the east where the Babylonian Empire was centered before the Roman Empire. The Babylonian first, then the Persian, now the Roman Empire came to be. And as we know historically, many Jews were exiled centuries ago from Judea and Israel to Babylon. So it is known that there was a large Jewish presence that had influenced the Magi, who we know were well-respected just as Daniel was in his time in Babylon. So, as I said, you know, there's a possibility that this Magi could have been influenced by the chief of Magi, the wise men, in Daniel's teachings and writings, where they might have gotten their interpretations of the skies and clues from. It, this is very important to consider, too that the Magi traveled between 400 to 900 miles, which would have taken them anywhere between three weeks to months of traveling. So we know like they're, they're not just, you know, they're not getting there at the same time as the shepherds. The shepherds probably got there months in before them, right? But, but we see that there is this, this just like, there has such faith, you know, about what they, what they read, what they studied. They probably were waiting for the time, knew the stars, knew the prophecies, knew the writings, interpreted them, had all these things going on. And then they make the choice to go all the way to Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews. So the Magi made a big effort to find the awaited Messiah. Now, finally, in verse 11, we see the encounter. There is the encounter, right? Uh, when the Magis arrived to their final destination, the scripture says they bowed down in worship and gave offerings of gold, myrrh, and frankincense, 
which symbolizes the status of Christ. Gold is a skin, and then obviously as a sacrificial lamb, um, you know, some, some scholars will say that, that mir is obviously one of the spices used to write to, to, for the burial of death. So, as again, if you listen to the past sermon, we talk about how there is a lot of symbolism of Christ, on pointing of Christ's death through the manger, through the shepherds, through all of that. You can listen to that. But there is a lot of already, you cannot read it then, but if, if, you, you, know, if you live at that point, you will know that there is a, a signs of, of Christ's death, right? And scholars has pointed that out. So you can, you can go back to the sermon. But we see also here there, there might be some of that as well. Uh, we don't know for sure, but there might have. So, um, so the Magis reacted on worship and then gifts, right? So now we've seen uh, quite a bit here. Um, we see the contrast between the Magi response to truth which is selfless worship, in contrast with Herod's response to the truth, which is selfish ambition. You have selfless worship from the Magi, selfish ambition from Herod. Now we see that they were guided by, the, by Christ's star, not by Herod's intimidation. We know also in the last verse that we read that the Lord, again, interpreters of dreams, right? They're getting dreams from God. God tells them, on a dream to not go back to Jerusalem, but to go back another way so that they don't have to face Herod, right? So then they're obviously guided by God. Now we see that their natural response is over rejoicing to the fact of Jesus' birth. It's not just rejoicing, but over rejoicing. And then finally, they encounter Jesus with worship and gifts. So to conclude... In the past weeks, we have talked about Mary, who was a mother of Jesus, a Jew herself, who God chose to bring forth his son to the world. Thank you, J.Y., for the sermon. And we also talked about the shepherds who did not have a good reputation in the region and were accounted as poor and insignificant by society, but were chosen by God to be the first hearers of the arrival of Jesus. Today we saw the Magi, Gentile wise men that were of high status, who humbly came from far away to worship Jesus. In contrast of Herod, a Jewish king who was jealous to preserve his power, reputation, and ambition alive. Today we're reminded that just as the Magi, we also are attracted by Christ the King and have the choice to either react like Herod with jealousy and anger for self-preservation, or like the Magi, with exceeding joy to sharing the salvation, healing, and peace that he brings and is granted to us undeservedly through his life and sacrificing the cross. So that's, so one of the, the questions that I want to leave you guys today is, what is my response to the birth of Jesus? Is it one of self-ambition or self-worship? And self-ambition might sound very counter but in all honesty, it's just not having selfless worship. <laughs> it, it is not the opposite. There is no middle ground if, I'm, if, if I can be bold here. Because if you don't have selfless worship, then who you're focus, focused on? If you're not focused on God, then who you're focused on? Well, we might be worried about what's coming next. I'm tired. 
I got these things to do later today. I got this party going on. For those that are going to AJ's party uh, later today. Um, so, so there's a lot of things we can be worried about. That's just self-ambition. That's just not being selfless worship, not being, having selfless worship. I mean, yes, it's okay to plan. It's okay to have parties. It's okay to come together as a family and eat here at church and all that. All of that is awesome. All that is great. But it is not of value if we're not putting first God in our lives. If we don't allow Him to influence everything else. You might have heard first God, second family, third church. I disagree with that. Why? Because if you say that, you're compartmentalizing God. It's first God, second God, third God, fourth God, fifth God, everything God. Because God has to be in your family. God has to be in your work. God has to be in your parties, in your food. Like Paul said, even if I drink or eat, I will bring glory to God. And that's why it's important to come together right now in worship. I know the scene of internationals is to prioritize finding community before eating the word of God. And I am all about community. But can I tell you as your pastor, do not put it before God. Not. That's wrong. Community was made by God. Eat from the word. Eat from the studies. Eat from these things. Because if you're just coming for community, then you can go somewhere else. There is plenty of communities in this New York City area. There are. Of international, they go to bars, they hang out, they go to snowflake stuff, whatever. You can have those, you can find them on Facebook. I, I tell you, go there. But if, if, if you're not allowing God to influence those spaces, then this is all worthless. All these things that we call church, all these things that we call international church is worthless. If Jesus is not in it, then there is no true community. If God does not influence it, then it is all for nothing. He must be worshipped in selfless worship. So that we might impact those communities. And yes, we'll continue to have food, we'll continue to have altar, we'll continue to have parties here in my place, at AJ's place. And we'll do all that. But if Jesus is not in it, then it's all worthless. So with that... I want to finish up, not with a challenge and not with a reflection. Today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to get in pairs of two people. And if there is an odd number, there can be one of three. That's okay. But try it for it to be two. And then if not, three. All right? And then we're going to pray together. And you're going to think about the sacrifice of Christmas. The sacrifice that the Magi did, right? They did a sacrifice of time. Why? Because they traveled for so long. Some people think it might have been three, four months of traveling. And not only travel, they studied a lot to get to the point 
of the star and the writings and the timings and all of that stuff, right? They put years of years of time just to come to that, however long they were on the house in Jesus and worship him. I don't know, maybe it might have been a day or two that they stay with them. We don't know, right? But can you imagine the type of investment they did just for that moment of encountering Jesus? All these years, just for that moment. Think about it. Time. They also uh, put in jeopardy their reputation as magi when they went and encountered uh, King Herod. How did they, right? How did they, um, um, uh, how did they were willing to sacrifice their reputation with their privilege, with their uh, status, not even going back to her. They didn't care about Herod, King Herod. And they've been on, on high status. They didn't care. They care about God. They didn't care about what people think of them. Even the king of the land think of them. They care about who they, what the king of kings had to say. Jesus. And they were guided by him and God. Do you care more about what people think and your reputation? What you do and your reputation? What you have and your reputation? Your career, your possessions. So the third thing is actually your treasures, your possessions. You have your time, you have your reputation. And then they sacrifice and they gave out of the treasures. They gave them gold, myrrh, and frankincense. And we see that given of their possessions. So now turning to the pairs, right? And, and, or three. And, and, and take, you know, take, take about... Five to, ten, five to seven minutes to just share, okay, you know what? I need to sacrifice this in my life. And then you pray for the other person, and then the other person prays for you. And then you might be asking, how do I pray, Piero? Well, if you're, you're not obli- obliged to pray, you're not obligated to pray. You don't have to pray if you don't want to. But if you're like, Piero, I would like to pray, but I don't know how to. You just listen to what the person has to say. Then you repeat what the person said, and then you end in the name of Jesus. But not just words, with your heart, with your mind, with your love. You listen, you repeat what you've listened from that person, and you finish in the name of Jesus, because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Now, if you don't want to pray, you don't have to pray again. But if you want to, there you go. Okay, so we're going to do that. And then we are, and then after that, we'll finish up with worship and a song on, and uh, announcements, all that. So let's do that. <laughs>